I uh, just want to start by making an admission that when it comes to giving messages we're you know at the right season right time I'm like the worst in the world um, so so this message today for you mothers you're just going to know it has nothing to do with Mother's Day but we certainly <laughs> celebrate you mothers yet again the first the first Mother's Day message I ever gave back in my old Baptist church I kid you not this is how bad I am at this um, I tried to align it you know with with Mother's Day but here's what my points in the message were there was number one the sacred mother then I had opposite of it the secular mother and then the third point of my message was the sick mother it was the worst just the worst downer message just all because it was not like physically sick it was like this this sick in that you're neither hot or cold you're lukewarm some of you know the book of revelation you know what i'm talking about you get spit out of jesus mouth it was a great message great mother's day message uplifting i actually had a lady who pulled me aside later on she said you got mother issues and she was right <laughs> she was absolutely right so i'm kind of apologizing in that you know we're in a series i stayed in the series i normally do this uh, occasionally you know i'll adjust to a seasonal thing this this is not an overtly uh, appropriate Mother's Day message but it is a valuable message for each and every one that's here today because you see I, I have this belief thing uh, I don't think that anyone is here on any given Sunday by accident I think whether you're online watching or whether you're here the Spirit of God has drawn you because he lovingly wants to bring something to our attention and this is why Jesus asked over 307 questions there were things that he knew we needed to be thinking about that we don't tend to think about and there are things we needed to care about that we normally don't care about so Jesus asked these provocative questions and we've been in this series now for a number of uh, actually two weeks so I'm going to start today with yet more questions so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to take you through four questions now the answer you answer that for yourself just in your mind in your heart it'll either be yes or no so four questions, yes or no, then I'm going to pause. We'll kind of assess our results of uh, what you came up with, and we'll go from there. So here we go. First question. Do you believe Christ actually physically rose from the dead? Remember, mentally, yes, I believe that. No, I don't believe that. Got it? Question number two. Do you believe his promise to give eternal life to his followers? Jesus promised that whoever puts their trust in him and becomes his follower, he gives as a free gift eternal life. Do you believe that? Yes? No. Question three. Do you believe Christ's promise to judge and reward his faithful followers? Because he clearly promised that. Do you believe, yes, he will judge and reward his faithful followers, or no, he will not judge and reward his faithful followers? Last of the four. Do you believe, this is a bit longer, do you believe the never-ending life in God's kingdom will be better than even the very best experience that this present life can offer? So picture the greatest, most wonderful experience you, you and I can have here. Do you believe, though, that each experience, each day in the heavenly, eternal kingdom will be better than the best here? Yes? No. Okay, everybody's got, had time? Your yes or no? Now, here's my question to you if if you answered in your mind yes to all those questions yes I believe all those four things Randy will you look up here at me and wink that was a little flirtatious that was <laughs> <laughs> all right obviously I can't even see your eyes up here I'm blinded by the light <laughs> but uh, I want you to let this sink in for a bit because here's the thing that is true about you and true about me. It is possible for me to believe that I believe some things, okay? But not necessarily live in accord or let those things influence me to the degree that they should influence me. Christ is going to address that today. He, he's going to present a question to us about an area of life where we have a tendency, a propensity to believe one thing but do another and that can be something that kind of cheats us and cheats what God wants to do as well let me go into one more one more question here we're kind of wanting to based on the questions above would it be fair would it be a fair comparison to say that an entire 100 year life now would be like the blink of an eye you just wink at me 
compared to everlasting life in God's kingdom. I want you to think about that. If you and I live to be 100 or over 100 years, comparing it to everlasting life, would it not be this entire 100 or more year life? Wouldn't it be like a blink? I'm curious, how many would say, yeah, I never thought of that, but it, it would be like a blink. Can I just see your hands? And here's what a blink is like. The average blink is one-tenth of a second. So factor this. If you and I live 100 or more years in the timing of God, it's like a blink of an eye. That's why it says in Scripture, it says that our life appears like a vapor just for an instant, and then it vanishes quickly. So your entire life, which may feel very long, certainly at certain seasons it does, my entire life, it's actually very, very short even the very longest life. So the question is this, so am I living for the blink, the blink life? Am I living for, the, am I putting everything into getting it all and getting it all now because this is all I know for sure about. Am I living for the blink or am I living for the eternal life that many of us said we believe in? Because that was one of the questions was, do you believe in the eternal life that God promises or that Christ promises? So Am I, let me rephrase it, am I investing my life? Am I living consistently with my belief in the everlasting life and the everlasting kingdom that if I've trusted Christ, I'm going to be a part of it? Am I aiming for that life? Am I thinking about that life? Am I living every day here in the blink life in light of the eternal life? Or am I really, if someone were to observe me objectively and watch the way I spend my time and my talents and my treasure and my abilities and so forth, if they watch me, they would say, now, you're, you're, you might say you're living for eternal life, but frankly, you're only living for the blink. We have to sort this one out for us. So Jesus helps us sort it out by zeroing in on a subject that not many of us like to talk about. Here it is. How do we handle what? So you couldn't even say it. You didn't even like to say it. <laughs> Unless I'm giving it to you. You don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> How do we handle money? Now, when you present a subject like this, I, I know, I mean, I'm just like you guys. I know how many people feel about this, at least initially, depending on what stage in your spiritual journey you're in. Many people feel like, first of all, why should God, why should he, bother us about this i mean doesn't he understand how insecure we are doesn't he understand how tough life is doesn't he doesn't he get it that we're always thinking about it? i don't know if i'm going to have enough to survive and i don't know if i'll have enough for the very end of my life and, and and we worry and we fret why would this matter to him i mean is he up there with a tin cup is he broke does he need my money does he need me to send it ahead is is, is there something of course we know that's ridiculous but why why does this subject matter to God? Why does it matter to God how I, how you, how we, and it does, handle our money? And we're all handling our money. Let me rephrase that. We're all handling money. The our part we'll discuss. <laughs> but we're all handling money. Why? Why, why does this matter to God? It, has, it, it seems like... That's got nothing to do with my love for God or people or, or my spirituality. Why would he? That's why I don't like you churches. You always get down to this money thing. That's what people say, right? Well, let's, let's just let the Lord lovingly, objectively, very honestly, and I hope clearly present this subject to us so that we'll have the why behind the what. All right, we're going to go to a portion of Scripture, Luke 16. Christ has just told one of the most controversial parables that he ever told. The parable is about this guy that's a money manager for a very wealthy individual. So the very wealthy individual turns all his properties and monies over to this manager, but the manager is not handling the owner's money the way that it should be. He's, he's taking what he wants. He's doing things wrongly. And in the parable, the owner gets word that this guy is mismanaging his money. And so the guy has presence of mind enough and he says, wow, I'm going to get fired. I am going to get fired from this job. And he, and he literally says this. I urge you to read it on your own, Luke 16, 1 through 7, uh, sometime on your own. I'm going to pick it up at verse 8. But the guy literally says, he says, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, because I'm not physically strong enough to dig, you know, like 
ditch digging or physical work of some sort. And he says, and, I, and I'm too ashamed to go around begging, so what am I going to do? Because I'm going to be out of a job. And then the guy says in the parable, he says, I know what I'll do. And so he starts bringing in the debtors, people that owed his, his master, his boss, money, and he's cutting their bills. If they owe 100 bushels of, let's say, wheat, he says, G give me 80. If they owe, you know, 100 barrels of oil, he says, give me 50. So he's cutting everybody's debt, and he tells why. He says, I'm going to do this so that when I get fired, and I know I'm going to get fired here shortly, these people will like me and they'll welcome me into their houses. Again, I urge you read it on your own. It's, it's kind of comedic. But why would Jesus tell such a parable? Well, we're going to pick up at verse 8. The master commended the what kind of manager? The dishonest manager because he had acted how? Shrewdly. Now, other translations say prudently or wisely. Um, what was this about? Because people read this parable and they say, how could Jesus, you know, give commendation to a dishonest individual? He was not commending his dishonesty. Listen to me carefully now. He was commending his consistency with what he believed. The, the dishonest manager believed he was going to be fired, and he believed that he didn't have a way to make a living, and so he believed that if he gave breaks to people, misusing the money he had already been misusing anyway, that these people would be kind to him and they would give him a secure future. He was called shrewd. He was commended because he was living consistent with what he believed was best for his future. Okay? So that's the idea. He's not commended for being dishonest because some people have even sent in questions to us um, about this particular parable. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, prudently, wisely, strategically consistent with what he thought was best for his future. For the people of this what? World. Now, you're going to see Jesus is distinguishing. When he says the people of the world, he means those that are living just for this blink life. They're apart from God. They're not maybe interested in God. They're, they're just kind of going in on their own. They're going to make the best of it. They're living for the blink. They're not living in light of God or eternity. So he's going to, going to kind of compare them. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the, are the people of what? Light. People of light. He's talking about those that have trusted God and are now living their life in light of his word, his truth, and in light of eternity. And, he, and he's commending them. He's saying the people of this world, the people that are living for the blank, they're more consistent in seeking out their future good than are the people that are supposedly in a trust relationship with God seeking out their future good. Okay, so is you on the same track so far? All right, let, let, let me take it further. So now Jesus, in light of this, he's making an exhortation um, to you, to me, to all of us down through time. I tell you, use, what does he say? Worldly wealth. What are we talking about? We're talking about money. Money of any kind. It could be silver. It could be gold. It could be, you know, diamonds. It could be cash money, whatever. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it, meaning the worldly wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into what? Eternal dwellings. Now, now this should be thought-provoking. Jesus is telling us, he's urging us to do something. He's saying, take the worldly wealth that you have, use it in such a way that in eternity, people will welcome you into their homes. That's what the, the shrewd guy was doing in a worldly way. Now, now, how does that happen? I'm just curious because I, I thought about this a little bit, changed this up from, from the first service. I had a situation that happened to me many, many years ago. Uh, my kids were going to a Christian school when they were very little, and um, all at once I see this guy running up a hallway toward me. And his eyes are getting bigger and bigger as he gets away. I'm like, man, I know this dude's from my past, but is it my good past or my bad past? And he's getting closer and closer. And I'm like, I'm going to have to think about reacting here. And he's like, Randy, Randy, Randy. I'm like, okay, that looks like a nice Randy. That's not, a, that's not an angry at you, Randy. God grabs me up, you know, hugs me, says, oh, man, I've been looking for you for years and years. This kid 
was one of my apprentices when I, when I was a union carpenter. I was a union carpenter for 17 years. And when I was working with him, I was constantly sharing Christ. Now, he made fun of me and used to irritate me because he wasn't that good of an apprentice. And, uh, but, but anyway, I thought it was a blowout. You know, he, he left. We went our ways. We worked for different companies. I hadn't seen him in years, probably 10 or more years. He wanted me to know how that it had stuck and he had come to trust Christ. And, and this guy, to my knowledge, has been following Christ now for 30 or more years. So what kind of what joy did that bring me? But more importantly, what, what, what happened there? What was that dynamic? Because I invested something in him, he met Christ, became his follower, and the changes that Christ made in his life made me special to him he felt warm toward me because of what Christ had done for him you tracking with me it's not about me it's about what Christ had done for him I was just kind of the in-between person Jesus says there's a way that you can take that I can take we can take worldly wealth and so invest it that it will reach people for Christ for the eternal kingdom of God and those people will be forever grateful that you and I that we invested our worldly wealth in a way that brought the message of Christ to them so that their entire life in this world and in the world to come was changed now there is no greater vehicle for this mark this down I don't care what anybody says about criticizing local churches and, and mark this too I'm not saying that we're like the only one the best one I'm just saying we are an authentic Christ-centered Bible-believing Bible-teaching local church and there are many 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 in Frederick County all across this country and every local church every Christ-centered Bible-believing Bible-teaching te local church they are absolutely reaching people for Christ they are changing people's life in this world and in the world to come they are changing families they are contributing something that no government can contribute that no educational program can contribute it, it is a life-changing thing as are missionaries who go all over the world and risk their lives day in and day out and, and live very rugged difficult lives just for the purpose of trying to reach others be a bridge between others in Christ they want people to know the truth about God and to know the truth about life so desperately that they themselves live their entire lives usually missionaries on a very difficult rugged level so that's what Christ is talking about when you I we and I've done this for decades now been one that joyfully uh, invests worldly wealth in local churches in this local church in any church I've ever been in because I know I know the church is the hope of the world. I know churches do what no other institution can do. When the people of God get motivated and we start opening our mouths and we start speaking the truth and love to people about God and about life and we start inviting people to church, some lives get eternally changed. Entire family dynamics get changed. Beautiful, beautiful things occur. So, yeah, thank you. We, we should applaud local churches. Local church, the hope of the world. It's the place where the, the presence of Christ moves freely through his people and dynamically changes other hearts and other lives forever. So I tell you, says Jesus, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed like Art Vogel coming and grabbing me and welcoming me into eternal dwellings that's a real experience that Jesus says you need to be thinking about that my people you need to be thinking about your your future like this <laughs> dishonest manager was thinking about his temporal future he goes on whoever can be trusted with very how much little can also be trusted with what much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much now we know this as a principle for example if we were considering a candidate to take over a global company hundreds of thousands of employees and we're looking for someone to take over the CEO position and maybe there's some bright candidates they're fresh out of college they're genius level people they have so many talents but they would not normally be immediately hired to take over a global conglomerate because there's too many question marks we, we don't know if they have the the character we don't know if they're trustworthy we don't know if they can endure their responsibility and, and all these kinds of things so what we would normally do is we'd start somebody like that that has a lot of promise a lot of potential and we test them on a low level to see how they do 
And if they do good on a low level, we give them a little more responsibility and a little more and a little more. And then finally, they develop to the place where perhaps the entire company, hundreds of thousands of employees, would be influenced by them. We give them lots of power, but we don't give it to them indiscriminately until they prove they can be trusted we do little and see how they do with little then we give more and so forth and if along the way we find that when we give them a little they're not even trustworthy with a little they're irresponsible we don't give them anymore you agree would we not all function that way would we just indiscriminately give power and authority to somebody that has no proven track record no proven character if you're with me at all just kind of do like that we wouldn't of course that's Jesus just giving a principle that we all understand so now he turns it personal so uh oh uh oh you, you jump so if you have not been trustworthy in handling what worldly wealth remember he said if you can be, you can be trusted with little you can be trusted with much if you can't be trusted with little you can't be trusted with much so now he's talking to the children of light once again. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with, what does it say? True riches. Now what, what, what does Jesus mean, true riches? I'll try to share a concept with you. There, there, there is something called intrinsic worth. Um, intrinsic worth, food, water are intrinsically valuable it doesn't matter what your condition is it doesn't matter where you're at in the world you could be in the middle of the Sahara Desert you could be in the Amazon jungle it doesn't matter where you're at food and water are intrinsically valuable okay but you could be in the middle of the Amazon jungle or the middle of the Sahara Desert and I could I could lay down 10 million dollars in paper money beside you or gold bars or silver and it wouldn't help you one bit. You'd starve to death and die with it all stacked up around you because it has no intrinsic worth. It has extrinsic worth. In other words, we give it sort of a synthetic form of worth. When Jesus says true riches, he's comparing it to worldly wealth, which has extrinsic value. We give it value for a time and a season, but it really has no intrinsic value. He's saying in the heavenly realm, you're going to be given stuff that's truly intrinsically valuable. It's valuable immediately. It's valuable tomorrow. It's valuable forever. It's valuable in every experience. Now, we don't know what a lot of those things are. How many of you read the book of Revelation some? Just a little bit. Maybe just, just a little. You read about the tree of life. You know, in Revelation 22, the last chapter, talks about the, you know, the river of life. And on the sides are these trees of life. And people are eating from these trees every day. And it seems like, wow, that's kind of weird. I'm not sure if that's symbolic or what that is. What if, what if there were more factual basis to that than we would ever dream? In other words, what if there is a kind of food that those who live in the kingdom of God will eat regularly and that food has healing, regenerative powers that enable us to live everlastingly? The, the, the stories of such foods like that have been all over our planet for thousands and thousands of years. That's just a little aside. True riches, whatever they may be, are something that have intrinsic value. They will always be valuable, always be good. And if you have not been trustworthy with, what does it say? Someone else's property. What do you mean someone else's property? Who will give you property of your own? Well, why, I mean you know you work hard for your money and you buy your car or what have you and you buy your home and so so isn't it your your name is on the deed maybe it's it's like it's yours or is it now i'm going to finish this passage out and then i'm going to show you something that's paradigm shifting for some of us but jesus is indicating that what i have now all the worldly wealth i have now it's not it's not mine it's someone else's it feels like mine just like to the dishonest manager he was spending his boss's money like it was his but it was not his but he was using it like it was and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of your own once again jesus is talking about in eternity you'll have i'll have those that trust christ follow him tangible holdings whatever that may look like a tangibly, I just want to share this with you, a tangibly different eternal experience. The scripture teaches quite clearly that just because we 
enter into the eternal kingdom of God, it does not mean that our experience in that kingdom will be the same. It will be based on our faithfulness in lots of areas or lack thereof. There will be different inequalities of experiences. Now, nobody's going to be going around kicking the, the gold pavement saying, oh, shoot, man, you got, you got this privilege and I don't have that privilege. Everybody's going to be satisfied because we're all going to know we got exactly what we had coming, okay? Let's go on. Here he closes it out. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and what? Money. Money. Now, I didn't say this. Jesus did. Now, I will say this. We cannot serve both God and money because they both compete with each other to be our God. Let me share what I mean. What you and I actually worship is what we knowingly or unknowingly derive our sense of significance, security, and satisfaction from. In other words, whatever it is that makes me feel that I am inherently, intrinsically valuable, is it God or is it money? Money can do that. You have enough money, you can feel really powerful, really important. Well, what is my security based on? Well, if I have piles and piles of money for many decades or many thousands of years, that can give me a false sense of security. So it opts for the position of God. Satisfaction. If you have enough money, you can get a lot of pleasurable experiences. You can buy whatever you want, do whatever you want, go wherever you want. So money competes with God to give a human being a temporal, synthetic, deceitful sense of significance, security, and satisfaction. But God is the one that gives us a true sense of significance. Christ created us, made us in his own image, made us for himself, and sacrificially gave himself to win back our trust. That's what makes a human being valuable. You don't have to run any higher, jump, jump, any, jump any higher, run any faster, be something other than what you are. God loves you. What about security? You are here, if you're a Christ follower, for as long as God intends you. You are, you are literally indestructible until your mission is over. Doesn't mean you can live like a fool because you can cut it short by doing that. And satisfaction. God promises to meet all of our needs. You'll see this later in this life. But then he promises to give us the desires of our heart for eternity. So we're meant to get our sense of significance, security, and satisfaction from God alone. And he's the only one that can really meet those needs. Now, Jesus is talking about, you know, what, what if you've been unfaithful with that which is somebody else's? And we're like, it's not somebody else's, it's mine. I worked hard for it. Let's look at something that's paradigm shifting. Paradigm changing reality. Psalm 24.1. Now, I'm going to ask you, each time it says belongs to the Lord, you're going to not want to do this, but it will make you feel better as you do it. I want you to lift your voices and just say belongs to the Lord. First time you do it, you'll hate me. Second time, not so much. Third time, you'll just be on automatic pilot. So here we go. <laughs> the entire earth, all of the animals and cattle, the heavens as well as the earth, the silver and the gold, every soul, all that we have and give comes from now if you took it in what's paradigm shifting is this I don't own anything I'm, I'm at best a renter I, I, I'm just taking care of things that God gives me God owns everything everyone everything that I have all that I have all that I give it's his and that's why Jesus said, if we have not been faithful in handling someone else's property in this life, who's going to give us or trust us with things of our own in the life to come? This, for some of you, will be a tremendous paradigm shift if you can take this in. In this life, I am entrusted with things by God who will hold me accountable for those things if I have used them in the way that he wanted them to be used but I don't own anything. It's all on loan to me for this life. Now, God doesn't get all up in our face, you know, like when we go home at night and say, hey, 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 you know, you, you bought that, that eat out food, you know, your, that, that fast food. I, I want you packing your lunch. You know, you can do better than that. He, he just kind of lets us go, lets us feel free with the way we handle his money. That's the point. All right, now we're going to get into the, the guts of the message. Here we go. Money is a God-entrusted what? You tell me? Testing tool. 
God has, we humans, on a developmental journey in this life. We may think that the only purpose in life is whatever we make it up to be, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. You know, God made this life to be a developmental journey where I become who God meant me to become, and I do what God meant me to do, do, and it prepares me for my eternal role and mission. There's a purpose in life. Money is a God-entrusted testing tool. Remember we read Jesus said, the one that can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. The one that can't be trusted with, with much or little cannot be trusted with much. So money is a, did I get that backwards again? But it just, just ignore it. You know what I was trying to say. Money is a God-entrusted testing tool. Let's look specifically at what I mean. Leviticus 27.30, just so you understand, this is when the children of Israel had just been led out of Egypt by Moses, and now they had become a nation. God puts this as a principle to every single Israelite right from the start. They are wandering in the wilderness, dependent upon God for everything. Here's what he says. A tenth of everything the land produces belongs to who? The The Lord. That includes grain from the soil and fruit from the trees. It is holy. It is set apart for who? For him. So essentially, this was an agricultural economy. There was not a lot of money used. You know, it was you traded your, your, you know, your eggs and your, your, your cattle and different things they got. So that's why all the agricultural terms. But the point was clear. He told these Israelites, the people of God from the start, one-tenth of everything you have is meant to be devoted to me, my interests, my causes, because I'm providing you everything anyway all the time. How many of you have ever, uh, if you've been in this church a long time, you might remember a sermon that Kim gave way back, uh, Kim, our, our spiritual formation pastor, and it was about the French fry. It's, it's kind of known as the French fry sermon. I'm just curious, how many remember? I'm gonna probably butcher this terribly, but essentially she tells this story where she's trying to share this principle. But his dad takes his kid to McDonald's and, you know, they order some, some the, ha- the meal of great happiness or whatever. And so the kid, <laughs> the kid's got some french fries and the dad goes to reach across and take one. And the kid does one of those numbers, you know, the barricade. And the dad says, huh? He says, I want to explain something to you, son. It was my truck that bought you here, brought you here to McDonald's. It was my money that brought you the meal of great happiness. It's my house, not yours, that you live in. The clothes that you are wearing, I bought. You would be sitting here naked, son. (laughs) And all I want is one of your french fries out of ten. You want to rethink that a little bit. So she tells the story better. I probably butchered it terribly. I I didn't even tell in the first service because I thought I couldn't do it justice. But when she tells it, it was way better. But... (laughs) But this principle God instilled in his people. Remember what we said? God has entrusted some things, some wealth to us as a test. Let me show you how the test works out. Malachi chapter 3. Bring to the storehouse. Now, this is, this is like maybe 14 or actually 1,000, 1,100 years later. The Israelites have been sort of practicing this, this tenth principle. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth. Now, why would he say bring a full tenth? because they weren't giving a full tenth. (laughs) Even though he instituted it like 1,100 years earlier, they weren't all doing it. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house. And then what does God say? Test who? Test me. God is asking you and I, frail humans, to test him. But the test is on us because the test doesn't work unless you do what tell me it's hard for you to get it out of your mouth isn't it give the how much the full tenth a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house test me in this says the lord all powerful i will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need not want want comes in eternity need is what is right now so this is a test Wealth is a test that God is using to catalyze character development in us. But the thing about a test is, you don't have to take it. I'm going to be frank with you. I was not a good student. There was many a time, I wish this weren't so, but truth be told, in high school when a test was being given and they would pass out the papers, I would just put my head down on my desk 
and they'd be like what are you doing I, I'm just I'm not taking the test I was like why should I take the test I have no idea what this is about I have not paid attention the entire time I have not done my homework I'm just going to take the what the zero if you don't take the test what kind of a grade do you get can we hear it zero you fail right if you don't take the test you fail you derive no benefit from the information that it was meant to to give you and I, I experienced that quite a bit so if I don't take the test the test has started when God first called the people to be his and to trust in him he says listen I'm going to provide everything you need you give the tenth to me to my work my interests and you'll see that you'll always have what you need here it is 1100 years later he's telling them he's saying bring the full tenth because some of them were kind of skirting on this and he says and test me put me to the test but he was really testing us because unless I bring the tenth I can't test him right you see how that works now have you taken don't raise your hands have you taken God's test I took God's test decades and decades and decades ago and I know he's true he's faithful he provides our needs not our wants not our stupid spending habits not our living above our means and then whining about it but he'll provide our needs in fact when I recognize that everything I have is his and I'm just a manager of it I am forced to consider how I use it and that restricts in good ways some of my spending because I know it's not mine I, it's his and so I, I have to consider things differently now 1 Corinthians brings us you know to kind of clarity it says in 1 Corinthians 4 2 it says now it is required that those who have been given a what a trust must prove what faithful, faithful. let's go back where this point started if I can go back please no 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 no, no the, the very next slide <laughs> there we go but that was just so you remember that was the first point uh, of the slide okay money is a God entrusted what testing. testing tool and I'm given a trust by God the trust is worldly wealth Jesus says that we the children of light don't use worldly wealth consistent with what our futures are and he's trying to motivate us to reconsider the way we use worldly wealth to do it do utilize it in such a way that it will have eternal repercussions that are positive but I've got to remember it's a God entrusted testing tool if I don't take the test I fail the test but I fail the test because I'm scared right it's like I you know I don't I, I have such a financial catastrophe on my hands, Randy. I, if I were to give a tenth to the work of God, I'd be destitute, man. I'd be in the street with a, one of those signs, you know, we'll work for food or something, you know. I, I don't know. What if, what if you just started to pray about this? That's it. This church will never, and this message is not a pressure for giving. This church is doing just dandy financially because we have enough people that, like me, have taken the test, experienced God's faithfulness, and learned through training to be joyful givers. So, so this is not about making you feel bad or making you pressure to give. This church will never pressure anybody to give. But it is about trying to help you gain the security God wants you to have. You see, when, when I take the test and I put God to the test, I don't lose security I gain security I start handling my worldly wealth wiser I start having security that God's going to provide for my needs in any and every season in life and so the very burden that I think I'm escaping by not testing God or putting him to the test I actually put a deeper burden on myself because now my security is all based on my ability to maneuver and scramble and and then my desires get you know disproportionate with what they should be all right so money is a God entrusted testing tool secondly money is this money is a God intended training tool now here's the catch catch 22 I can't enjoy or experience the training and the development that money is meant to bring into my life unless I take what's the word going to be the test until I take the test I can't have the training the training can only come after the test so if I'm not 
test, taking the test, I'll never be trained. And here's what I mean by training. Look, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8. Paul writing to the followers of Christ living in Corinth, and look how he compliments them. They, they had a lot going, even though they were not perfect. But since you excel in everything, in faith, so their trust in God was strong. In speech, they were speaking righteously and godly, speaking the truth and love. In knowledge, they knew a lot about God and his word. In complete earnestness, man, they were totally sincere, dedicated. In the love that we have kindled in you, so they had love for God, love for his, his people. See that you also excel in this grace of, what does it say? Giving. Giving. So, Paul is saying, and if you read the verses go before it, it says that Jesus, though he was wealthy, became poor so that we might become rich. It's urging us to follow the model of Christ. God is the most generous person in the universe. He gives to all. He gives freely. He gives beyond what we deserve. And he wants us to know the joy of giving. I want you to think about something. How many here have ever ever known a really, really stingy person? I mean, somebody, man, they count every penny. They won't give you anything. I mean, they, they just, they're just stingy. Come, come on, I know more of you know stingy people than that. Yeah. And if they're beside you, just blink, wink at me again like you did earlier in the midst. <laughs> now, you've also likely known generous people. I, I'm telling you, I, people want to attack Christians and attack churches. Some of the most beautiful human beings that I have ever seen in my life they are in local churches. They love God. They love people. They give extraordinarily, and they give it freely and generously. They don't want anything back. They just love the experience of being able to give and, and finding ways to give. I'll, I'll add to that. So there is a joy in becoming generous. Part of my development as a human being is I am meant to become one that has Christ-like generosity. Now, the question is, he says, excel in this as though it's in our power to do that. And it is. How do we learn anything? I mean, you know, if I went over there and out to that keyboard and started trying to play the, the music set that we just sung, you know, prior to this, um, can I just prophesy that I would fail? <laughs> because I've never played an instrument. Okay, I don't know anything about music. So, were I to make the decision, yeah, I want to, I want to be able to, to be a musician. Follow with me, this pattern, because this pattern is a cross-board in life. I would have to choose to do something that I now cannot do at all. It is impossible for me to do it all. will feel overwhelmingly hard for me to do it all. Now, remember, I'm talking on two tracks here. I'm talking about generosity while I'm using the example of the instrument. So... If I choose to excel in giving and becoming generous like God himself, it's going to feel impossible. It's going to feel overwhelming. It's going to feel hard. It is going to be very difficult in the start. But if I start playing that instrument and I persist and I start learning the fundamentals and I just persist and I'm, I'm trying to improve and improve and improve and I stay at it, I stay at it week after week, year after year, finally, perhaps, I could become something that I am not I start out I am not a musician but in time I literally become a musician maybe not a very good one but but at least a musician where I can play some songs how do you and I become generous you got to take the test you got to learn how to give you got to learn how to give when you're still scared because that's what trusting God is about and as we trust God with our giving something changes we, we feel this thing inside. Man, I, I like the way it feels to give. And I love to see the work of God go forward. I love to see lives change. And, and it gets kind of intoxicating, and you're just looking for ways to give more and more because you're not afraid of not having your needs met because God has proven. You've taken the test. You've tested him. He's proven faithful. And now you have a new joy quotient in your life that you didn't know existed before. Joy is a multifaceted thing, and one of the joys is in being gen- generous. Stingy people are miserable people. They'll never be happy no matter how much money they have. And they make everybody else around them unhappy. We all know this on some level. So this excelling in this grace of giving, it calls for a step when we feel like we can't make the step, when it's uncomfortable to make the step, when we're scared to make the step. 
but we feel like it's worth it man i want this i'm going to go for this because it's good it's good in the sight of god it's meant to be it's who i'm meant to be i'm going to go for it jesus kind of gave us a little bit more encouragement in matthew he says this do not so he's telling us what not to do do not store up riches for yourselves here on where earth okay he says, ah, you know, you're going to have moth trouble and rust trouble and thieves are going to steal it. Instead, store up. So now he's telling us what to do. He said, don't do this. He says, do this. Instead, store up for yourselves, uh, store up riches for yourselves where? Now, once again, how do we do this? Well, that passage, Luke 16, about those that welcome you into eternal dwellings. When I contribute, to the cause of Christ on this earth, be it through local churches or missions or whatever, I'm helping the Spirit of God reach out to people whose lives will be changed eternally. That's sending up treasure for ourselves to heaven. Now, you don't have to believe any of this. This is just Jesus. You can take it or leave it. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and where robbers cannot break in and steal. For now, this is what we can't get our head around too easily. For your heart will always be where your what does it say? We say no, 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 Miranda, that's wrong. No, no, no. You see, where my heart is, that's where my riches will be. My my heart will cause me to to take my riches and invest them in what I really care about, what really matters to me. But Jesus says no. He says you've got to send it ahead first, and then your heart will follow the riches look at it carefully i'm not making this up for your heart will always be where your what riches are it's easy to prove you've heard me do this silly example before if you see two kids playing ball outside you know and your car is parked out there and a neighbor's car is parked out there and they're throwing a hard ball back and forth boom, you know and they're catching it throwing back and all of a sudden it bounces off your neighbor's car puts a big dent in the side you may go ooh. But you don't go running out, do you? But if it's your car, are you out there in the street? Oh, yeah. Because where your treasure is, your heart follows. Jesus is saying, listen, I created you guys. I know you. Unless you take the test, unless you invest up, your heart will always be pulled in living for the blank instead of living for eternity. Your treasure will pull you like a magnet. You and your heart won't pull the treasure, which is the way we tend to think. First Timothy just gives some practical advice. It says, tell those who are rich not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust should be in the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. All we need, not all we want. All we want comes in an eternity. And when it says those who are rich, I know what some of you are thinking, well, that leaves me out because I'm not rich. Can I just see the hands of anybody in here that you do not have electricity, uh, running water, run, indoor plumbing. Um, you, you do not have any kind of climate control. No heat, no air conditioning. If you're void of all three of those things, can I see your hand? That's what I thought. You're rich. <laughs> the kings and queens of all history would look at your place that you're living in because you can do this, boop, and let there be light. You can do this, and it goes down. <laughs> we are the richest people that have ever inhabited this planet. So please, when you read this, read it in a first century context. They were all basically poor, even the richest of them. So when it says those who are rich, it is certainly talking about all, all of us today. Let me go on to the rest of the passage. It says this. If I could just get it to flip. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves. Where? It's either a real deal or not. Jesus keeps saying, store it up for there because that's where it's going to last for eternity. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So I'm going to size or summarize this all of you because what I really wanted you to do, this was not a, a talk to motivate you to give. This was a talk to give you understanding of why God asks us how do we handle money. That's my real motive. I just want you to understand the why behind the what. So here we go, summarizing. 
An effective, accurate spiritual testing and training tool requires certain things. Money was meant to be, wealth was meant to be a testing and training tool. But if it's going to be effective, it's required certain things. Number one, desirability. I have to desire it. Entrustment of a desirable power. Money is a desirable power. I can get some things I want to satisfy my desires and so forth. Number two, it has to, be, it has to have accessibility, freedom to use the desirable power. God's not all up in our face about how we spend our money. He's not saying, hey, what are you doing maxing out that credit card? He, he, you know, we just go on oblivious. Number three, longevity. God trusts us with this desirable power and allows us free use of it for a long time because it tests. Remember, Jesus said, "He that is faithful in little will also be, or he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much, and he that is not faithful in little will not be faithful in much, and so on." So there has to be a time. So an effective, accurate spiritual testing and training tool, money, is God's intended training tool. That is why He is interested in how we handle it. That's why he's monitoring how we handle it. That's why he's going to judge us based on how we handle it. It's not meant to scare us. It's not meant to motivate us. It's not, I'm, honestly, we do not want anybody ever to give at all in this church unless they do so out of a, out of a joyful heart of devotion to God. If, if you're scared, you're worried about your finances, man, just chill, just relax. We love you. We, 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 we'll, we'll do what we can for you. All right, let me go on. Money perfectly meets the, necess- the necessary criteria of a testing and a training tool. That is why Christ wants to know how do we handle money. So, how have we, this is past tense, don't care, don't care what, what goes forward, but how have we in the past, up to this point in our life, how have we handled money? Number one, have we considered that it's God's? and I'm supposed to manage it the way he would want it managed, that would be a good starting consideration. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. More importantly, how will we handle money? When you leave here today, you're going to handle your money. We're all going to handle our money somehow. We're going to handle it with the new knowledge, perhaps, for some of us have, that it's God's and that he's going to hold us accountable. It's, it's meant to test us and train us, develop us, or we're going to go and handle it just the same way we always did. That's, that's between you and God. That's fine. But there's a better way. Close with Jesus' words once again, Matthew 6. Do not store up riches for yourselves here on earth. Instead, store up riches for yourselves in heaven, for your heart will always be where your riches are. All right. Mother's Day, not a Mother's Day message necessarily. However, who is more giving than mothers, right? Right. (laughs) There's that connection point. (laughs) It's no mistake that you're here today. It's no mistake that you heard this message today. It's no mistake that you're feeling what you feel today. Often, uh, beneficial changes in our life initially provoke us and make us feel uncomfortable. So a loving God has brought us all here so all together we can hear the truth. We can have it with, I hope, some clarity. And we can go out of here, hopefully, wiser managers of that which belongs to God and is meant to give us an opportunity to change our eternities so if you've trusted Christ and you were his follower you know that God has spoken most specifically to you if you've not trusted Christ and become his follower you could do that before you leave here today and I hope you will he gives forgiveness of sins and everlasting life to anyone that will put their trust in him and become his follower and everybody's following somebody usually we're just following ourselves. If you can find somebody better to follow than Christ, go on and follow them. I made my decision many, many decades ago that there's nobody better to trust. I hope you will come to the same conclusion. So, how have we handled wealth? But more importantly, when we go out of here today, how will we handle wealth? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you you care about our testing. You care about our character. You care about our training. Thank you for entrusting so much to us. Help us to be wise and help us to be faithful that we can hear well done, good and faithful servant on that special day. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.